Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will only do double review episodes of films with only one word in the title. So as not to exceed the character limit when publishing the episode. Indeed. Who are you? I'm James. I, I'm Dan. Yep. I was waiting for you to ask, but never mind. What are we doing this week? So I've completely, I've completely messed up. <laughs> This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We'll talk about some real news. And our main reviews, plural, are Pig, starring Nicolas Cage, and Coda, starring Amelia Jones, which is on Apple TV+. Two very well-reviewed films that we want to talk about. And we are catering for everyone this week. So if you wish to go to a cinema, that's how you'll have to watch Pig. But if you can't, you can watch Coda, but you must sign up for Apple TV. Those are my only specifications. Daniel, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm on holiday next week, so uh, cheers. I'm having a, a glass of wine on a school night because I'm on holiday. I've only had one, though, so it will be coherent, this podcast. All right. Uh, it was my son's birthday this weekend, and I'm sure many people are aware of this, but probably a combined amount of £200 Spent on him from relatives and friends, and he just played with a 99p bow for uh, for most of the weekend and has shown no interest in any of the presents bought for him. But we are thankful, nevertheless. So we are. Not too sure he is. Very good. Like a cat playing with all the wrapping paper on yeah. Christmas morning. Exactly. Yeah, like that. And with claws, because we've not cut his nails for months. Okay. Neglect. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> James, what have you been watching this week? Heels on Stars with a Z. This is my favourite programme right now that's releasing weekly, and I'm deciding now to talk about it three or four episodes in. It's a wrestling drama about a small-town promotion. It's run by Stephen Amell, who you might recognise as Arrow. He's the writer or the booker and the top heel in the promotion, and his brother, Alexander Ludwig, from Vikings, is the top babyface. Times are hard, they're going through hard times, and they need to put on good shows and good stories to attract audiences consistently. The main conflict of the programme is between these two brothers. Alexander Ludwig has his own ideas about how to make the business succeed. Stephen Amell, who's the boss, he has his own ideas about how to make the business succeed. He's very traditional. He's got his ideas about deep storylines. Alexander Ludwig has ambitions to go up north, which is called for going to the WWF slash E. What I love about this program is how it presents the real side of wrestling. Right, Wrestling is fake, but there is a truth to winning matches and rising in prominence and using your own real skill to become successful. The two main characters that you see in the poster, they're complex and flawed and sympathetic. It's not asking you to side with one or the other. There's a supporting cast of rich characters with their own subplots that are all interesting, particularly Kelly Berglund, who is a former Disney star, apparently. She is trying to get into the business and find her place. It's on Star's Play, which is not Disney Plus Star. 
stars is an additional subscription on Amazon Prime, in the UK at least. Well, this is interesting. It might appear as though we are being sponsored by them this week because I'm also reviewing a Star Players series. So that's weird timing. A bit concerned, James, that you have used this podcast as a platform to shatter the dreams of thousands, if not millions of people, by exclaiming the adult equivalent of Father Christmas isn't real and saying that wrestling is fake. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Another interesting thing about heels, actually, is that it is a bit timeless. You can't really tell when it is set. It's in this generic small town. And I don't think there's that many indications of what year exactly it is set in. And they talk about how members of the audience may still believe that it is real. But sometimes they say, oh, everyone knows it, it's fake. So there is this discussion, which is, again, what, what makes it engaging. There is this discussion about making the people believe that it's real and issues of breaking kayfabe and all that is taken very seriously. But I will say, I will say, there's some human drama in there as well. It's not just a wrestling business drama. It's a family drama as well. Okay. So Vin Diesel would like it. <laughs> very good. I do think I will check that out. It sounds very interesting. And obviously, I have a Star Player subscription now, so why wouldn't I? What else have you been watching this week? The Chair on Netflix. I've watched all of it. It's all available to stream. This is the Netflix description. At a major university, the first woman of colour to become chair tries to meet the dizzying demands and high expectations of a failing English department. Based on that description, I thought this would be a series of activist lectures and not TV episodes, but I was wrong. This took me by surprise. It's charming and funny and thought-provoking and very balanced. The instigating incident is that a lecturer who is Sandra Oh's love interest, when talking about the German National Socialists in a lecture, does an arm-raising gesture and a victory salute. A video of that triggers scenes of campus cancel culture that are familiar in recent years. And there's an investigation. There's doubt about Sandra Oh's leadership. Everything spirals a bit out of control and every little thing that happens escalates the situation. So Sandra Oh's research assistant, I think, she casually says to a reporter, look, I've been told not to say anything. Don't talk to me. And that becomes a whole separate thing of there was a gag order. There was a gag order place on the students. So they can't escape this cycle of everything being picked up on everything, making the situation worse. So Sandra all plays the chair and you've seen Killing Eve, is it that she's in? Yes. Yes. And a bit of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Yeah. And she's excellent, of course. Fantastic and brilliant and wonderful. She's very good. And she's trying to juggle all these issues and there's other senior academics as well and some of them are really old like over 70 and they're struggling with not being able to keep up with what people want and they don't really understand why are people not joining my course how do i teach these people why don't they appreciate these books they can't understand modern people and there's other lecturers trying to make progress in their career but they're coming up against certain barriers i really liked it i did laugh out loud at the good writing but there's also some good drama as well and again some good family drama it's really about family 
because Sandra Oh has to deal with her feisty daughter as well. So Vin Diesel will like this as well. He would. He would like it a lot. <laughs> Two recommendations specifically for Vin Diesel this week. Very good. I like about this series, I haven't finished it, by the way, but now that you've said it's very good, I will continue. One of the first episodes, the, the older brigade, they get a lot of the funny lines in this. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but there's an old woman and there's a younger woman. And she comments on her clothing being completely inappropriate. And I don't know what the line is, but I, I full on laughed out loud, nearly wet myself. It was something like, put your effing fanny away or something like that. Do you remember which bit I mean? I vaguely remember the scene. I don't remember the line. Yeah. Something else to note, possible spoiler. There is a David Duchovny cameo as well that is very memorable and right. funny. And he plays himself, which makes it funny. Oh, interesting. Written by Amanda Pete as well, if anybody remembers her. Just, you know. I was surprised to see that as well. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Anything else on the watch list? No, that's all from me. Daniel, what have you been watching? I've watched three things. Don't worry. Not going to go on in depth about all three of them, but they've all shared something in that they're all about truly despicable human beings. The first one will be short and sweet. I watched Memories of Murder on Netflix, which is a true crime documentary. A few weeks old now, and it's about... British serial killer Dennis Nielsen. Now, I said this would be short and sweet, so I will keep it this way. If you've seen the ITV drama Des, where David Tennant plays Dennis Nielsen, there is no need to watch this documentary. It brings nothing new to the table. It pretty much, beat for beat, exactly what was in Des. There's, there's nothing original here that you didn't hear. The only thing that I will say, which is quite unsettling is you have the voice of Dennis Nielsen narrating over quite a few bits, which is a bit gets under your skin, but nothing new. So if you haven't seen Des, watch it. If you have, give it a miss. That's all I'll say about that one. Funnily enough, when I saw this, I thought of you and I thought, is he going to watch this? Even though he watched the ITV one and you have. Yeah. I'm a sucker for it. I can't help myself. I've listened to about, 15 podcasts on Fred and Rose West. I know the whole story from beginning to end, and I still continue to just live through the same thing again and again. Anyway, another Netflix true crime documentary, John of God. John of God. I don't think I'm telling saying the full title there. Let me uh... John like John Major. John. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Or to give it his full title. John of God, The Crimes of a Spiritual Healer. So this one's about a psychic surgeon who is nicknamed John of God. He claims to have spiritual healing powers, and he set up shop in the 80s, I think, in a small town in Brazil that I cannot pronounce, so therefore I won't. And people flocked from all over the world to have their various diseases and ailments ridden of them by this godlike figure. And at first I thought this might have been a deep dive into, you know, how has he hoodwinked all these people into believing that he had the power to heal? It's not that. It's far more terrible. It's yet another example of 
institutionalized sexual abuse against women. And it is sad how many examples there are of this sort of thing, especially on this scale and for how many decades it's gone on before, you know, it all comes out. So it is a story that needs telling, but it's Netflix back to their old mistakes, which I thought they'd rectified. It's too long. Again, it's just too long. There's only four episodes, granted, but they're an hour each. And there's a lot of interviews with victims, but they space them out across the four episodes and I don't know why just interview one person move on don't come back to it three episodes later it just felt too fragmented and what annoyed me more and I'm not trying to take anything away from the victims and the story that there is to tell you but there's there's another aspect to this which is completely ignored so because this guy he had people as I say travel from all over the world four decades and has people testified to the fact that he has cured them? They've had months to live. They're healed all of a sudden. And this documentary throws that in there as if we're meant to just take it as a fact and move on. It just glosses over it. At one point, a woman says her husband was dying. I think he had a heart defect. Don't quote me on this, but it's, it's, it's of this sort of thing. She goes back into the doctor and she says, oh, no. He said, there are two hearts. What? I mean, that makes no sense for a heart to just come out of nowhere. And we're just going to go, oh, okay, right, he's got another heart. This guy is the real deal. Ah, They draw attention to the fact that he's raking money in. He is profiting off this. He's making millions. So there is recognition of that. But is there a a legitimacy to what he's doing? I know that's like nigh on impossible to prove, but give me a bit more on that front. Like how many people are like, I'm alive today because of this guy? because that is what it is kind of presenting. And I also thought this could make a really interesting angle because was this guy a sexual deviant because he did so much good in the world that he thought he was allowed to do as he pleased, if you if you know what I mean? Oh, well, I am making millions of people's lives better, so I can afford to do this and the other. I don't know. It just, it just doesn't explore that. Because this, for him, is presented as really, it's just a means for him to get to victims. And this doesn't seem as simple as, say, like Jimmy Savile, because he did a lot of charity work, and we all know that's because it afforded him access to more victims, and it was all a front. But with this guy, his whole thing is healing, not entertaining, and he looks to have successfully done this for decades. How do you keep that up? Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a very different scenario um anyway they don't go into it it's too long this could have been condensed into an hour and a half um i just wasn't that impressed mental what he was able to get away with but go and read an article about it don't bother with this okay netflix running out of people to make true crime documentaries about it would appear so what else have you been watching i mentioned it star players Stars play. Stars play. Stars play. I subscribed, and because of that, I watched a new series called Doctor Death, which is based on a true crime podcast series of the same name. It's from the people who brought us Dirty John, which you may remember. I reviewed the second series on this podcast. I was a fan of both. Doctor Death is about the stranger than fiction story of Doctor Doctor. Dr. Christopher Dunch, who was 
on the up and up within his profession, he had medical practices falling over themselves to have him come and work for them. And my words, the one that ended up employing him is probably deeply regretting that now because he was unbelievably inept when it came to medical procedures. And it's a wonder that he actually got employed in the first place, if I'm honest. If the title isn't enough to give it away, this guy participated in numerous surgeries which left people either permanently disabled or dead. Um, Joshua Jackson, who I've never considered leading man material, he is the person who portrays Christopher Dunch in this. And I'm shocked to say, I think he's really, really good in it. He somehow almost effortlessly portrays being this friendly, approachable and caring doctor in front of his patients. But behind the scenes, he, he is a full-on narcissist and sociopath. And he, he flits between the two really effectively. It's quite a chilling role for him. And rather than just concentrating on the, oh, let's go down the grim angle and let's show these botched operations that he carried out, and they do dramatise some of them, but they also go into the character's past and that demands of Joshua Jackson that he goes back in time and portray 20-year-old Christopher Dunch. And personally, I don't know if it's the makeup, it's a bit of CG, I don't know, but I bought it. It looked like I'm watching 90s era Pacey from Dawson's Creek. So very well done to them on that front. Loads of people have been sniffy about later on when he gets older and that the makeup's actually awful. I don't necessarily agree with that. I thought it was good across the board. It's not just about him, though. It's about the victims, one of which was his best friend, and it's also about the people who fought to bring him down, really two of which are fellow surgeons who witnessed his shoddy work firsthand and they're played by Alex Baldwin and Christian Slater. And after seeing these two play off each other, it's one of the best aspects of this show. They, they've got real chemistry together, even if it's based on how they rub each other up the wrong way, because they are, without a doubt, complete polar opposites of one another. But Baldwin's like your calm, collected presence and he conducts himself with complete professionalism. And then Christian Slater not playing against type, really. He's more loud and brash, and he just says it as it is. But it is an interesting pairing, and they look past what makes them clash, and they're just there to join forces and bring this guy down. So it's really satisfying to watch. It's not filmed in particularly jaw-dropping style. The onus is really on the craziness of the real-life story and the acting, I suppose, to carry it through. And it really does. I think it's worth saying, if you've got a phobia about medical procedures or hospitals in general, this isn't going to do anything than, you know, solidify that fear, because it is truly terrifying what is allowed to go on in this. Um, and there is recognition of that, because it is, it's a bit of a comment on the US uh, healthcare system in a way, but I'll let that unfold as you go along. I have left out a lot of what goes on with regards to this. But believe me when I say it, it is well worth your time. I, th I think you'll be more than shocked watching this. I highly recommend. It's going to be in my top five. Bold claim. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Death. And just okay. so people aren't disappointed, I feel I have to confess, there is only one episode available on Star Pl Star's Play. I have seen them all. Don't ask me how. It's worth watching in its entirety. This is a okay. full review, but only one episode is currently available. So all your watch lists items were based on real crimes? 
Yes, I get it. I'm not being very varied. Yeah. No, I'm just segueing into real news. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. got a few items to look at number one variety.com reports that marvel studios has scored its first emmys with wandavision it's picked up two for narrative half hour production design and for fantasy and sci-fi costumes and it's been nominated for 23 emmys overall now i'm not saying that awards recognition makes something good however I did feel like WandaVision was the best Marvel release this year that took the most risks, did something different. And now here it is being nominated basically for everything that it did for the casting, the makeup, the hair, music, editing, everything that it did, it's been nominated for. So I feel vindicated. Good. Refresh my memory. What was your... Don't have to go into detail, but were you a fan of the ending? No, I wasn't, because after a lot of cerebral build and all the period-based sitcom copying stuff, it ended with a big laser fight. Purple lasers versus red lasers in the end. So seems familiar. Okay, good on Marvel. Where's Falcon and Winter Soldier, eh? Come on, that was that was up there. It was brilliant. Yeah. Well, that nabbed five nominations. Oh, right. Okay. Which is a lot smaller than 23. Yeah. Just to, even I can do the maths on that one. It's like yeah. 17. No. 18. Move on. Quick. Yeah. What's the next one? Very quick one. Lashana Lynch has done a very, 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 very long interview in The Guardian. And... There's a contradiction in it, right? I've before we go con- into this, does it address oh. the interview who she is? <laughs> Lashana Lynch is in No Time to Die. Oh, is she one of the Bond girls? Yeah, she's the Bond woman in the first trailer that undermines and humiliates James Bond in the first trailer. But then in the more recent trailer, it seems like they've they've cut that down a little bit. Interesting, something to something to think about. The headline for the interview, she was also in Captain Marvel as well. And even though she had a small role, I felt like she was better than Brie Larson. And I wish that she would have been Captain Marvel instead. I think she's going to be in the Marvels as well. Not Captain Marvel 2. They're not calling it Captain Marvel 2. They're calling it the Marvels. Mm, it's interesting. Headline, Lashana Lynch, the first female 007. I never had a plan B. So that's confirmed it. She is the replacement for 007 because James Bond is is retired. So I found the key question within this article, which says, quoting The Guardian, let's pull this plaster off. Are you Lashana Lynch, the next James Bond? No, you don't want me, she says with a fit of giggles. I'd just be like, she feigns ditziness. Um, Right, so where do we start again? So which is it? Lashana Lynch is denying it, but the headline says that she is 007. I think it's probably as per her comments, just find a very convenient way of selling a lot more magazines, haven't they? Yeah. Fair point. <laughs> hey, but who knows? Because if anything, 
she's contractually obliged to probably not say shit on the matter. So maybe she's just biding her time. And Vanity Fair, was it? Or Variety? Sorry, which one? Neither. The Guardian. Sorry, yeah, I knew that. I was testing you. Well done. She, um, yeah, I've, I've, reached, I've reached a wall, mate. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Okay, it's fine. We'll move still on not to... drunk, right? Okay. <laughs> so, but it's, it's a fake news headline is my point. I'm not happy with that. No, agreed, agreed. When we discussed Shang-Chi, this is my third of three articles, so I'll come into the end now. I think we talked a little bit about the CGI not being great in parts. There's one shot in particular where they look over a cliff and the forest below looks awful. I don't know if you noticed it. My complaint was more that the CGI existing in the film was what bothered me. Whether it was okay. or not was secondary. Well, in ScreenRant.com, they have an article titled Why Shang-Chi CG is so bad. Ooh. So I was keen to read this and I thought this might be actually providing some kind of insider information about a, a rush or last minute changes or, or a crunch in the production. So this is a six paragraph article. First four paragraphs is just praising Shang-Chi unreservedly. Fifth paragraph, they talk about the CG and they say that Shang-Chi has a similar issue to Black Widow with a finale that relies too heavily on scenes and characters created entirely out of CGI in a conflict that serves only to heighten the tension of the main story. As spotted in the trailer, the dragon that presents Talo is a computer-generated creature. Detail can be lost in the final confrontation with the dragon's evil counterpart, and this battle is resolved in the aftermath of the main conflict between Shang-Chi and his father Wenwu. So that's the fifth paragraph. So we're on to the final paragraph now. Still no explanation of why the CG is so bad. It may be that it's not necessarily the CG itself that is landing poorly with critics, but the over-reliance on visual effects, which draws attention away from the central storyline, a common criticism of Marvel productions. Despite this, though, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings is a heartfelt story of family and showcases incredible martial arts action, blah, blah, blah. They go on to praise Shang-Chi even more. So why is, is the it... CG so bad? It's not, it's not explained. No. It's, it's not explained at all. It doesn't... What a misleading article name. <laughs> they say that there's a lot of CG, and then they say the, the, the CG is not the problem. It's just that there's a lot of it. So Shang-Chi is still perfect. So, I, I, so they got a click out of me. You know what? It wasn't all for nothing, though, because even though you've mentioned it about four times in last week's review, it did give me time to reflect on that film and realise that it is about family. And I bet you can guess who'd like that film. You can. Yeah, you yeah. can. Vin Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the articles that I've found. Have you got any news? <laughs> Actual news from Reuters is that Disney is going to release... So I need to press the European Union individual's cookie consent. Okay, press that now. Reuters says that Disney is to debut the rest of 2021 films exclusively in theatres. Take that, Scout Johansson. <laughs> so Eternals, West Side Story and the rest of the other films will be exclusively in theatres before sending them to streaming, which is a confidence that movie going will rebound. So it's only Black Widow that got screwed. <laughs> there was Onwards as well. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mulan screwed itself. 
Yeah. So that's good news for moviegoers and movie podcasts. Interesting, though, that it's the opposite of Paramount who've panicked and put things back. Nothing's set in stone at this point. I don't believe a word that anyone's saying. It will be what it will be when the situation is as we know it at the time. You know, you, we don't know is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think with James Bond, until we see the Board of Film Certification signature at the start of the film, and it actually begins, MGM, you won't know that it's not delayed. You could get, you could actually buy a ticket the day before and it could still be delayed. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I know it's in the trailer, by the way. Sorry, random thought. When it arrives in theatres, Bond, will the MGM introduction be change somewhat to like say now owned by Amazon or it'll just do away with MGM and it'll just be a picture of Jeff, Jeff Bezos's face I don't know yeah rather than the lion yeah it'll be a lion popping out of an amazon.com box right well that's enough wild speculation for now should we get to our main review I think we should this week's main reviews are Coda and Pig first We'll do colder. Oh, sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. Yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. Something's got a hold on. What are you doing next year? Working with my family. Let me tell you now, I've got a feeling I feel so strange. Everything about me seems to have changed. Ruby is the only hearing member of a deaf family from Gloucestershire, Massachusetts. At 17, she works mornings before school to help her parents and brother keep their fishing business afloat. But in joining her high school's choir club, Ruby finds herself drawn to both her duet partner and her latent passion for singing. Daniel, what did you think of Coda? It was good. Okay. <laughs> Would you recommend Coda? No. Um, give, me, give me a full break now. Um, Sound of Metal was about deaf people. And here we are again with another film about the deaf community. So two in one year on this podcast. Represent? Sounds sarcastic, that. I'm not being. The plot of this, though, I only loosely knew, and I thought just from that, that this is going to be emotionally draining. I don't think I want to put myself through this. Um, and for that reason, I probably wouldn't have given this a go were it not for reviewing it on this podcast. So... I just want to say for anybody who is like me and stays clear of films that you think, oh, it might make me cry. Please don't think that way. Just just give this film the chance it deserves. And I, I promise you will not be disappointed unless you are dead inside. Because this is probably one of the most inspiring and beautiful films in recent memory i'm not saying it's up there with the best of the best but just from a how i left the film feeling i, I was inspired and it, and it was beautiful to behold and it, it did warm my heart and it brought me to tears in in all the right ways and if that's putting people off it's not all tugging at the heartstrings it's it's insightful when it comes to the deaf community and their plight it's funny 
It's got characters that you are full on rooting for throughout the whole thing. And what I liked about it is it is basically a coming of age high school drama about a girl discovering her dreams. I've seen that a thousand times. Yes, you have. But because the protagonist comes from a deaf family, it's what gives it a unique edge, I think, and it prevents it from feeling like, oh, I've seen it all before. And that I think that differentiator is what gives it the soul, if you will, because if you stack it up against any other similar story of its type, the drama and pressure that you see most teenagers go through, it's nothing really compared to Ruby in this film. She's got a lot on her shoulders. And I think her family in this, they're, they're very reliant on her in an understandable yet claustrophobic way, and she begins to resent them for that while still wanting to do right by them and, and follow her dreams at the same time. So she's she's really juggling a lot. But it isn't just her that you relate to. So she's got all this added surrounded pressure from her family who seem really selfish at times with how dependent they are on her. But whilst it is selfish, you don't hate them for it, you get it because there's no support for them in the community at all. So what have they got to fall back on? And I think this film did a really good job of painting a picture of that isolation and feeling alienated, which I don't think Sound of Metal did. That was more of an inclusive, oh, look at this community and how we can aid and assist people. And that's just very far removed from what this story is in this film. Language, as you would imagine, is, is a huge part of this film. And there's a really lovely moment where her music teacher asks her to explain how singing makes her feel. And she just uses hand gestures. It's not signing, as far as I know. She just uses her hands in a way to explain it. And it was... I, I, I felt emotionally drawn in. It just... It, it captured me. It really did. And even when it comes to signing, like, that's re-emphasising the language through hand gesture. And I just felt so in it. It is a story about family at the end of the day. And both me and I would imagine Vin Diesel would be huge fans. What I do think is a tragedy with this film, and I might be completely off the mark, is Apple TV are not getting in the UK zeitgeist. They're just not. Who's talking about this film? Who's talking about Boy State or Greyhound? No one. And I really do think it's a crying shame because I, th I think this is an absolutely wonderful film that people should see. All excellent points. I would agree with everything you've said there especially the point about the family showing how they are behaving quite selfishly as well. That adds a nice complexity to it. And the Apple TV point, I hadn't thought about that. I'm going to get on to Amelia Jones. She's a British star or should be a huge star from this, but Apple TV just doesn't exist in the UK. I mean, it's not in the zeitgeist like you say. So it should be a huge moment and Amelia Jones should be a huge star right now because of this, but isn't. Hmm. She has got season two of Lock and Key coming up, though. Yep. So she was good in that, by the way. That's the only other thing I've ever seen her in. But she is outstanding in this. I thought, is this going to be next level? And for me, I really think her performance was flawless. Yeah. The great thing about Coda for me is the time you get to spend with the characters. By the end of it, I felt like I knew everyone well the mother and the father the brother I cared about what happened to all of them because you see them spend quite a lot of time talking to each other but also reacting in different ways to different problems 
it's a pretty straightforward plot, like you've said. We've seen it before, the high school come of age, of age stuff. But it is pretty much perfect in the execution. When I watched this the second time, because I told my wife, we have to watch this together. You have to see it. I was surprised to realise it was almost two hours long because it doesn't feel like that at all. There's a lot of content packs into it, learning to sing the family arguments, trying to start the fishing sale business. And like I said, just letting the characters have real conversations with each other. It's about a mostly deaf family. The title is Coda, Child of Deaf Adults. So deafness is a big topic, have you said. And I think it presents deafness as not something that necessarily prevents people from taking part in the world. I didn't feel sorry for the parents or the brother. I don't think it was about that, which is really good. I think the idea is that Ruby, Emily Jones, has been inadvertently made into her family's full-time interpreter and everyone doesn't know or is too scared to break out of the situation they've made for themselves. But the community accommodating the family is also a problem, as you've said. There are other ways forward in life. You just have to get over the uncertainty of making new choices. And that is a universal message. Amelia Jones is truly awesome in this. I hadn't seen Lock and Key before, so I'd never seen her. She fully conveys carrying the weight of the family. She switches between being a young girl in a teenage drama and someone who's forced to grow up quickly to help her parents. There are two key scenes that I liked. One with the mother on Ruby's bed where they talk about their expectations of each other and with the father on the back of the truck that was so powerful, so unbelievable. And Amelia Jones is doing sign language that she only learned for a few months during the filming of Lock and Key. And she's still doing the acting without speaking. So she's yeah. an actor. One of her key tools, which is her voice, she's not using in the scenes, but she's still doing everything. It's amazing. She really sells it, doesn't she? And in some scenes, she's the, in all the scenes with the family, she's the only one that is speaking when mm. she does the out, occasional outbursts. So there's so much on her to do, but she does it all. It's amazing. I think she's the next Carrie Mulligan. That's how good I think she is. But like you said, it's stuck on Apple TV. So <laughs> has anyone actually seen it? Well, they definitely should. Definitely should. I'm going to leave it there. I laughed. I cried. I watched it twice and cried a second time. Never has one word delivered so many tears in a film. I loved this film. The songs in the film are excellent as well you can find them on spotify the official soundtrack is on spotify and you can get the full studio recordings of emilia jones singing the main song that she does both sides now and the song from the end credits and i've listened to them on repeat many times in the past week and i will be doing the same thanks for the tip so very strong recommendations from us both or was it james would you recommend this film yes Without reservation. Daniel, would you recommend Coda on Apple TV Plus? Without hesitation, yes. Please subscribe. No, buy an iPhone, get three months free, watch Coda, cancel it after the first day. 
Yeah, that's buying the iPhone is cheap, the cheaper option than yep. <laughs> just getting it on a existing device. Yes, yeah. Right, James, you up for film number two? Next in this double feature is Pig. I'm looking for a truffle pig. Someone star. I don't understand. Tell me you are. You made the right choice being out there in the woods. There's nothing here for you anymore. There's really nothing here for most of us. Buy yourself a new pig. What are you thinking? I remember every meal I ever cooked. I remember every person I ever served. You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Peppa lives with her mommy and daddy and a little... Oh, no, that's Peppa Pig. One second. It was second result. To be fair, <laughs> a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness, or is it Oregonian? Oh, it doesn't matter. Must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. James, what did you make of Nicolas Cage's career best performance in Pig? Here's my soundbite. It's John Wick, but instead of violence, Nicolas Cage uses words and food to defeat his opponents on his quest. Now, at this point in writing my notes, I stared at the screen for about 10 minutes, brought up the Wikipedia summary, and I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. My thoughts on Coda were so clear, but then when it came to pick, I didn't know what to say. To say what happens in the film doesn't have much to do with what the film is about. So when you read the events of the film, the underground fighting ring, the path to finding out where the pig is, I didn't feel like I was watching that story. I was spending time with Nicolas Cage, Rob, the name of the character, and getting deeper and deeper into his heart and soul every minute until by the end I'd become one with him. And I loved everything that he loved and I'd lost everything that he lost. And it was only halfway through that I thought to myself, what is truffle? And I quietly looked that up and I found out that truffle is a delicacy that robs pig hunts and sells. And this film is actually about the dark world of competing chefs. And it's a revenge thriller about high-end ingredients. But again, it's not about that at all. Is that not a huge spoiler territory, James? What? Part of where this film goes is unraveling that mystery and finding out that that is what we're watching. I don't know whether... Sod it, if you're listening to this, you must have watched the film or you have no intention of doing so, so it's fine. But I, that was a shock to me that to learn that that's what this film was about. So that's okay. what I thought it might be spoilery. Continue. Sorry for interrupting. Okay. It's one of the best-looking films of the year, that washed-out, raw look that it has. You see the dirty underground the forest and the clean, sterile, high-end restaurant environments. 
sometimes it looks like a horror film in a way that I can't really explain. Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage. This is being called the best performance of his life. To be honest, I don't remember seeing that many Nicolas Cage films in my life, but I'm sure that's fair. Maybe it is the best performance. It's one of the best performances of the year, for sure. It's one of those where he doesn't seem to be doing much, but there is so much going on. If you're willing to go along with him and invest in it, there's a lot to be seen under his beard and hair. It's so hard to talk about this film. It's more of an experience and a meditation than a film. And whether that's a good thing, it it could go either way. It's 50-50. I enjoyed it, but would I recommend it? You'll have to let me think about it and ask me in a few minutes. You've had Daniel. a week. You've had a fucking week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still gathering my thoughts. I'm still gathering my thoughts. Daniel, what did you think of Pig? I'm so glad that you went first because I am in a similar boat. I've very, very recently, in the last few hours, watched this film. I watched Coda and then I went straight to the cinema and watched this. I'm, in fact, sorry, quick question. I went and got my hair cut this week. It's relevant. And I mentioned, was not boasting, that we do this podcast. And a woman went, oh, you get paid for like reviewing films. I was like, we don't get paid. (laughs) Anyway, I said, this week we're reviewing Pig. I said, it's film about Nicolas Cage and he gets his his pig stolen from him. And she went, oh, Leaving Las Vegas? I haven't seen Leaving Las Vegas. Does he have a pig nicked from him in that film? Because that's... I've not seen it either. Oh, right, okay. I can look it up while you while I continue to speak, though. Yeah, that's fine. I, ju- I just wondered, does Nicolas Cage gravitate towards pig kidnapping films? I don't know. <laughs> she was probably just wrong. Where to begin? I suppose we'll start at the beginning. So the opening itself, just Nicolas Cage in his element, in the wilderness, just going about his business. And it was it was very well shot. It would I hate to use the word beautiful again. I describe that uh, coder in that way, but it, it was a very beautifully shot opening and it was it was peaceful and I was enjoying it. And the title came up in the center of the doorway to his little house that he has, and it was so well framed. I thought this is as pretty as a picture. I would happily frame this on my wall, but let's see how the film turns out first. Wouldn't have it on my wall if I didn't like the film, would I? There are plot developments in this film which make me scratch my head. I don't quite know why they're there. You had a very succinct way of summarising what this film is about in terms of it being John Wick, but, you know, rather than the violence, it's food and whatever it might be. I would describe it as a cross between Nigella's Kitchen and Taxi Driver personally, which you might think is a weird thing to combine, but somehow it works. And even before we get to the point where you said it's about competing chefs and the dark underworld of of what all that entails, I already thought within the first five minutes when Nicolas Cage is going about his business and he's making food, I thought this is like I'm watching a cookery show. It's so weird. So I kind of saw it coming, but still managed to take me by surprise. I'm with you. I was I was invested with this, despite it. It's such a farcical story on the surface, really, and the fact that Nicolas Cage can 
go from person to person and say, where is my pig? And me not laugh out loud every time it's said is testament to what this film does. It's stupid, the premise, but it really does work and it and it and it goes for that serious vibe and it and it and it does so successfully. I'd heard that this was quite a slow-paced film, and I was expecting it to be quite abstract and a bit art housey and me not really gel with it. Think, I don't know if you've seen Mandy, another of Nicolas Cage's acclaimed films over the last recent years. I was expecting something along those lines. And it's not, I think, despite the fact that this is a bit thematically, I'm not going to say confused, it's just I'm confused. I don't know what the moral or theme of this is, if I'm completely honest. I'm, I'm still absorbing it. But it was actually a lot more straightforward than I was expecting. And even though not a lot, happens there's enough in there that it kept my interest throughout very interesting final act i didn't see it going down that route i i'm still as i say trying to work out what my feelings on this film are but i think i think i enjoyed my time with it but i agree with you this is not going to be for everyone at all very good point about how it's a farcical story if described in a certain way, it could be a comedy. And I think someone as a experiment should make a comedy version of this. Just take the same story, almost the same script to make a comedy of it. Put it, make a musical out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're doing Diana, the musical. Did you know that? Are you, are you taking the piss? No, there is going to be Diana, the musical. It's going to be released on Netflix. <sighs> And it's a filming of of the stage show, so I think if you can have that, you can have Pig the musical, I'm sure, and have and have a big animatronic pig like in War Horse. I'll, I'll watch it. I have my reservations, but I'll watch it. Yeah. To try and tie the films together a little bit, I think Coda is a highly accessible film, very accessible, pretty straightforward coming of age story, which is not a bad thing. Pig is almost inaccessible, I think, if you're not in the right mood for it. I can totally see how someone would just think, what the hell is this, and not make it through. I, I don't disagree, but I was expecting it to be more offensive in that way. I thought it would be even more yes. inaccessible than it actually is. I think there's, if you still, like me, don't understand what the message of this film is, there is enough in there that you can follow a very basic plot. Man loses pig tries to find pig can't go into the rest because it's a spoiler but it is that basic <laughs> yeah yeah it is another general point is that nicholas cage is not the only person in the film alex wolf spends a lot of time with nicholas cage in fact most of the time is spent with alex wolf and he is very good in it as well you get to learn about his backstory he talks about his family you learn about his character's story and you're invested in him as well. So it's not just Nicolas Cage with a beard talking to no one for the whole film. And apparently, according to the ever-reliable IMDb trivia, Nicolas Cage is Alex Wolf's favourite actor. So what a golden opportunity for him to share the screen with him, finally. One more general point for me. It's fine to have a pet pig, by all means. Don't let it in your bedroom. That's just disgusting. That's, that's next level. 
you know what I mean? Just a living room, even. I'm not saying I agree with that, but don't, don't have it in your bedroom, Nick, Rob, whatever your name is. Rank. Yeah. No sex scene. Just got to. <laughs> yeah, because it's nothing. Nothing happens in the bedroom, though. Just to be clear, it's not that. It's not that kind of film. Okay, I'm ready. James, would you recommend Pig? Yes. Daniel, would you recommend Pig? It is niche. There is no denying that. But it's my opinion. And my opinion is, yes, I would recommend it to certain people. Couldn't tell you one of them right now. Don't know who would enjoy it. (laughs) I'd recommend it to you, James, had you not already watched it. I'd recommend it to people that I know liked films but I wouldn't recommend it to someone coming into Blockbuster and saying, what's out this week? I'd just give them a Martin Lawrence comedy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've transported ourselves back in time, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> Shall we spoil a very basic plot, James? Yes, yes, let's do that. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> Rob spends a lot of time with Amir, played by Alex Wolf, trying to find this pig. We find out that it was Amir's father, Darius, who hired people to steal the pig. So Darius got the pig. Rob tries to get the pig back from Darius, but Darius eventually says, you know what? Forget it. The pig's dead. The pig's already dead. Rob is devastated. And... Goes home. Goes home. Puts on a tape. Goes bed, I think. I think, <laughs> I think that's the end of the film. Yeah. And he remembers... His dead wife. His dead wife. Yeah, he has a dead wife. This is not a Christopher Nolan film, but there is a dead wife. And that's it. The pig's dead. It was dead all along. It was dead for the, for the whole... For most of the film, I think. It's, we don't see the death. It's just talked about. As I was saying, those are the events that take place. But what you learn and what the real point is, is that Rob wasn't using the pig to hunt for truffle. Rob reveals that he can find truffle himself using his own skills. The pig was there for companionship. And that's the true twist. That's the true ending. That it was really about the companionship and the love. And that's the loss that he feels, not the loss of an income-generating tool. Mm. And it worked for me, that. I think you said before, I don't think I was quite as involved, but you said you felt his loss by the end. You'd, you'd merged with that character. And I did to a degree as well. And I think that's, again, props to the filmmakers for making me care about a pig that, I've got to be honest, it lacked personality, but I still cared that it was dead. Yeah, it was no babe. It certainly was not. What I'm struggling with in this film still, and as I say, it's, it's early doors, I've, I've just seen it, so I don't quite know what my full reading of it is yet, is 100% it's about loss and love, did you say? Yes. But there's something deeper, I think, here, which is why I like the film, because I, I know if I watch this again in a matter of weeks, I will take another reading from it because there's some what initially looks like nonsensical metaphorical monologues that Nicolas Cage goes off on 
where I'm like, what are you trying to say here? I don't understand what you're saying. There's a whole thing about um, he's talking to Alex, his wolf's character after he reveals that his mum's died and he starts talking about thousands of years ago, oh, the, the waves came in and there was an earthquake and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, we sank below the surface. I'm completely paraphrasing, but it didn't seem relevant to me and that it might be very apparent and I've missed it but I just think this is like a an onion of a film where if you peel back the layers there's actually a lot more thematically going on than initially looks to be the case if that at all makes sense yes that makes sense onion of a film is very very good point yeah I agree I agree with all of that can I ask you about the two things so the, the film is split into parts, one, two, and three, and they all have quite interestingly named chapter titles, the third of which the final act is called, oh, I'm going to get it wrong, but The Bird, The Bottle, and The Shit. I don't remember either. I'd forgotten about the acts. Anyway, whatever it might have been, we get to that final showdown where Nicolas Cage has been told by... Darius, do not enter my home again, bitch. I'll cap your ass. He comes back to cook him a meal. Showdown. First point, wouldn't touch anything that man's cooked. Have a wash first. He looks a right state. Can't believe they're just willingly at. Two, what was your interpretation of what was going down in that scene? I thought, is it going to be really formulaic? And is he poisoning him? That was where I thought we were going which then led to a rather nice surprise where, as you say, no, no, it's not that Neanderthal. He is trying to wound him through the art of food and memory. It was quite odd. So Rob knows that Darius stole the pig and Darius is trying to pay him off to say, go away. So it was odd that Rob came back to cook the meal. And yes, I was the same as you. I thought... Nothing good can happen from this meal. He's going to poison you or he's going to try and kill you because it's a revenge thriller, but it's also not. And just to make it clear for those that are weird and like to skip the film and just listen to this, when I say he tries to wound him through food and memory, it's because he cooks a meal that he made for his now nemesis Darius and his wife who is now in like critical condition in hospital and apparently in the family this meal has been spoken about for years so completely out of the blue Darius sits down to eat this meal and then is flooded with this unforgettable meal that he had many moons ago with his wife. So it was the first time I think that I've ever seen food used as a a weapon Mm. to trigger a key pivotal reveal of information. And it's all it's all played so well. Yes, it was a good misdirect, unpredictable way to get to that end point of revealing that the pig is dead. But that fits in with the rest of the film. And it fits in with the idea of loss. So Darius, the father, his wife is almost dead. And he's so overwhelmed that he tells Rob what's really going on. And in the scene where Rob finds out that his beloved pig is dead, there is the choice to have Nicolas Cage crying and breaking down, but it goes silent and there's music over it instead. 
so you don't hear the big screaming, sobbing, which was a good choice. Definitely made it more powerful. And you don't have a full scene of Nicolas Cage crying and sobbing on the floor. It's quite brief. I, I agree. I think it was a good choice. It, it definitely did not lessen the impact. I think what would have improved Pig quite a lot is if Rob's pig turned into a dragon. And then Darius also rode a more like dynamic, a demonic dragon and then you had a, a like a pig dragon demon fight to end things and rather than them being animatronic dragons just full cgi full cgi yeah yeah definitely i i think that could have improved things immensely um or maybe just a bit of a, a weird detour around the halfway mark where you have a gopro on the pig and just get a bit of an insight into its life maybe don't know. Yeah, yeah, like a like a flashback, even. Yeah, 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 yeah. Taking a trip to the trough, coming back, having a shit, whatever. I don't know. It's, it's probably fine that it didn't exist in the film. <laughs> oh, well, two films. I think we've given the viewers, listeners, enough content this week. A double bill. You're very welcome. From one inaccessible film to another, I believe it is, James, isn't it? So next yes. week we have what? The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel. Already a lot of reviews around, but it's finally released in UK cinemas for us. And for some it's a masterpiece. For others, it appears it's quite the slog. Which will it be for us? I imagine a bit of both. One person's going to feel one way another the other that should keep things interesting so join us on next week's episode until then please leave us a five-star review and rating on itunes you can email us at in the isles podcast at gmail.com or follow us on instagram at in the isles podcast james a lot a lot of emotional turmoil this week that can make one feel reflective do you, upon viewing these two films, no, nothing. You've not, you're shaking his head. He's got nothing to say. There's no part in words of wisdom. On that note, see you next week. Bye. <laughs>